The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I want to welcome you today to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church, which is located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCool, and I serve as pastor of Zion Primitive Baptist Church. We are a congregation of believers in the sovereign grace of God where families worship together through the simple practice of preaching, praying, and singing. If you live in this area or are visiting here, we would love to have you attend worship services with us. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. and the first and third Wednesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. I'm happy to note that our daily podcast is featured on Grace Alone Radio, which you can find at gracealoneradio.net. You can find the schedule on the website, and you can also download an app to your phone so that you can listen wherever you are. Grace Alone Radio is a 24-hour streaming service which carries the message of God's sovereign grace around the clock and around the world. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. That's near the intersection of County Road 49 and Alabama Highway 159, about 10 miles north of Gordo, Alabama, and about 8 miles northeast of Reform, Alabama. If you're interested in finding more sermons, you can go to our website at zionpbc.com, that's z-i-o-n-p-b-c.com, where you'll find all of our posted sermons as well as a link to subscribe to our podcast. You can also subscribe to our website which will update you every time a new sermon is posted. Today's podcast concludes the last sermon dealing with Elihu's attacks upon Job. You may recall that Elihu had initially identified himself as the youngest member of Job's miserable comforter friends, and it did seem that he tried to be impartial. He attacked both his friends and Job. Ultimately, he reminded Job that God is a merciful God, God is a just God, God is a good God. And now he's telling Job that God is a great God. As we've seen, Elihu tends to get the principle of the matter right, but the application wrong. Thankfully, there's one about to come upon the scene who will set all things right, and that is God Almighty himself. Join us today as we conclude our look at Elihu's attacks upon Job, and we lead into the appearance of God on the scene. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit.
He says, it's, he said, he would have removed thee out of the strait that you're in, here Job, into a broad place where there is no straightness, and that which should be set on thy table should be full of fatness. Now, essentially what he's saying here is that, Job, you need to understand that all this is working together for your good. <laughs> That's what he's doing. This is God's chastening. It's working for your good. He's working all these things out. And isn't that what the world teaches about Romans 8, 28, for example? Everything that happens, all these things, the tragedies, the sin, the results of sin, all this, all this is working for your good. That is not what Romans 8, 28 is teaching, and that's not what's happening to Job. The things that are happening to Job are being done to him by the enemy, and they are not working to his good, at least not in and of themselves. Is he ultimately going to be refined? Is he ultimately going to come out as gold is refined and silver is refined? Yes. But God is not causing Satan to do this. God is not. You know, I've heard this statement made from time to time. And, and I understand the sentiment, but it's the wrong theological assessment. People will say this. They'll say, the devil is God's devil. The devil is not God's devil. God did not create the devil. You say, wait, what? I thought he created everything. Listen to me. It's very important, very important distinction. Somebody may ask, did God, didn't God create the devil? This is the right answer, I believe. The right answer is not, yes, God created the devil. The right answer is God created that which became the devil. Okay? God didn't make Adam a sinner. In fact, we're told God made man upright. But man sought out these inventions, it's called. Adam was created innocent. He was not created a sinner. He became a sinner when he violated God's law of his own free will. Okay, Adam's really the only person that's ever lived that had what we would consider to be true freedom of the will. <laughs> he could have eaten of the fruit or he could not have eaten of the fruit. Once he ate of the fruit, he plunged all of us under the curse of sin such that we are born dead in trespasses and in sins. We're conceived dead in trespasses and in sins. And until we're born again, we cannot please God. We cannot choose to do right. In fact, the right things we do don't please God because they're not done for the right reasons. You see, the freedom of the will that's taught by the world that you have to exercise your will in order to choose Christ in order to go to heaven, it's, it's a futile message, at least to a dead alien sinner. Now listen, once you've been born again, you can serve him again. You can choose to do right, you can choose to do wrong. But up to the point where you're born again, you're dead in sins. But Adam had the choice. Adam had the choice and he made the wrong choice. The devil, Satan, Lucifer, Lucifer who was created by God was not created as the devil. But that which he was, was uh, pure in God's sight. But ultimately he through pride chose to become the devil. See there's a distinction there. It's an important distinction because otherwise you make God the author of sin. You make God the instigator of sin. You make God the one who causes these things to happen. God did not set Satan upon Job and say, you do this and you do that. He just let him go. He removed the hedge. And in fact, he kept the hedge in certain places. You see, the other, the other point that's important there 
is that the devil has no more authority than God suffers him to have. And I'm so thankful for that. He said, okay, here, you know, he's, he's, he's in your hands, but you just can't go any farther than this. Praise God for that. And essentially what Elihu's telling Job here is that God is doing this. He's arguing on God's behalf as if God needed somebody to argue on his behalf. Thinks pretty highly of himself, I would say. And he says, you just need to accept this, you know, suck it up and go on and learn from it. And then beginning in verse 17, he begins to admonish him in some ways. Now, I want to say to you at this point, from here down through the end of his, his preaching, he's making some pretty good points. Again, he gets it wrong in some ways. They're important, but he's making some pretty good points. So let's look at these points as we try to get through this tonight. Verse 17, but thou hast fulfilled the judgment of the wicked. Judgment and justice take hold on thee. What he's saying to Job here is you've had it rough, Job. I know you have. You have experienced it. The, the, the judgment of the wicked is upon you, and judgment and justice have taken a hold on thee, okay? And then he says in verse 18, because there is wrath, beware lest he take thee away with his stroke. Now, I think what he's saying here is, is Job, don't let this suffering, you're, you're mad, you have wrath, and because there's wrath, don't, just because you're mad, don't let this suffering turn you against God. You need to turn to God, not against God. He says, because there is wrath, because you're mad, you better beware, be careful, don't let that wrath gets you into the point where he take thee away with his stroke. In other words, he could just zap you. <laughs> you know, he could do that with us, couldn't he? <laughs> but think about what he's saying here, and think about the lesson for us here, that don't let suffering turn you against God. That's the time you need God the most. You know, he tells, Paul says over in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, do not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap. And that due season might just be the end of time. Uh, you say, well, I tried it. And I still hadn't reaped yet. Well, you, you hadn't got to heaven yet. <laughs> when you get to heaven, you're going to reap. That's for sure. When you get to heaven, all the wickedness of the wicked will be set right. And all the righteousness, that, that, that the righteous acts maybe that you have done that you didn't, that you got chastened for in this world. You got beaten down for in this world. It's not going to matter. You're going to reap one day. Now, before we go any further, I'm not talking about some kind of reward system once we get to heaven. The reward is, is that after all the tribulation and trials of this life, we get to heaven. That's what the reward is that I'm talking about. He said, don't faint. Now's the time you need him the most. And now notice in verse 18 again, uh, he says, uh, beware lest he take thee away with his stroke. Then a great ransom cannot deliver thee. Will he esteem thy riches? No, not gold, nor all the forces of strength. There's nothing you can bribe God with. He said, don't turn to false helpers. Don't turn to the things that won't help you. Riches won't help you. A great ransom won't help you. Gold won't help you. Strength won't help you in the sight of God. Don't turn to false helpers. Turn to the true helper. Over in Matthew, the fourth chapter, when Satan was tempting Jesus, he tempted him with all the glory and power of all the kingdoms of this world. He essentially said, here, I'll give this to you, and you won't have to go to the cross. You can bypass the cross, and you can become king of the world. You know, 
Jesus knew that the only path to doing his Father's will was to endure the cross. And sometimes he tells us in Peter, he said, don't, don't be weary. He said, don't uh, think it's strange concerning the fiery trial that's to try you. You're just being like Christ. Yes, I know it's rough. I know I've been through some rough things. Some of you have been through things that are much rougher than I've been through. But don't turn to the false helps of the world. You know, so many times people will turn to some substance of this world to escape the problems. When the truth is we need to face the problems, but if you face the problems with God, as opposed to selling out to the world, then you'll find the true help there. Verse 20, desire not the night when people are cut off in their place. I believe this is a clear reference to death. You remember Job has been saying, I just wish I'd never been born. I wish if I had been born, I'd been stillborn. I wish I could die. He's saying, I'm ready to die. And I understand there are many children of God in this world who get to the point of despair to where they take their own lives. We don't believe that you, that you go to hell because you kill yourself. But we don't believe you ought to kill yourself either. Because you're here for a reason. God has you here. And my grandmother used to say, I can't get no better and I can't get no worse. Mommy Koo used to say that when she was down towards the waning years of her life. And, and, and she couldn't understand why God left her here. I can tell you one reason God left her here. She's one of the greatest examples of patient suffering I've ever seen. I still take courage, encouragement from that. I do. There's a reason God is leaving you here. It's not up to you. And don't turn to death. Don't turn to death to escape from the problems of life. Turn to face the problems with God. You know what suffering does for us? It sanctifies us. If we endure it patiently, it begins to sanctify us. It leads us closer to God. I've never been closer to God than when I've gone through the tribulations of this life. I've recently endured a couple of tribulations that have been pretty, pretty difficult. You know what? My walk with God has been closer than it has been in a long time. You know, that's, you know, sometimes I feel shamed of that. I feel like, why can't I just be close to you anyway, Lord? But, you know, there's times when the Lord suffers us to go through these things so that we will draw closer to him. And that's okay. <laughs> That's, that's what we should do. Don't turn to death and don't turn to evil. Take heed, verse 21, regard not iniquity, for this hast thou chosen rather than affliction. Now he's getting on to Job here. He's saying you've gone off into evil and wickedness and iniquity, accusing God of these things. And, God, and he had done some of that. He said don't turn to evil, though, in order to get relief. You know, this is a really, really sensitive topic, and I'll be very careful the way I say it. But... One of the things I had to deal with as a prosecutor, and I still deal with it as a judge, but thank the Lord, all I do is have to read about it now. I don't have to, I don't have to see it or deal with it in, in person, and that's child pornography. Child pornography. One of the first cases I dealt with involving that was up in Fayette, and there was a man up there that we ended up sending off from a, life, a couple of life sentences who had, I forget, it was something like 1,600 images of child pornography on his computer. And my first thought was, let's find these victims and the people that are doing these horrid things to them and go prosecute them. But the problem was we couldn't do it because 
90% of them were from places like the Ukraine or over in, in lands and in countries that were so impoverished that the parents were facing the choice of either selling their children into this sex trafficking ring or watching them starve to death. That's a, that's a terrible choice, isn't it? But you know, the right answer to that is, is don't turn to evil and wickedness. Don't sell your children. Don't do that. That was one of the most stark um, reminders of, of the fact that you, um, we should not turn to evil. We should not, I thought about that when I saw this verse. Don't turn to wickedness. Trust the Lord. There's, there's other ways. And in fact, I'll be quite frank, death is preferable to what those children have gone through. It, it, it's, it's horrible. And look at verse 22. He says, Behold, God exalteth by his power. Who teacheth like him? Who hath enjoined him his way? Or who can say thou hast wrought iniquity? God knows what he's doing. God knows a lot more than you do. When he suffers pain in our life, submit to it in godly patience. Again, remembering that it's not, all, it's not always chastening. In fact, most of the time it's not. Most of the time it's just the result of the fact that Satan or this world is after you. And he said, don't turn to wickedness. Don't forsake God. God is still there and he is for you. And now we'll just quickly go through a couple of other things here before we close. In verses 24 through 26, he says, Remember that thou magnify his work, which men behold. In other, in other words, we should be exalting him. We should be praising him instead of grumbling about what's going on around us. I'm the world's worst at that. We remember that thou magnifies work which men behold. Every man may see it. Man may behold it afar off. Behold, God is great and we know him not. Neither can the number of his years be searched out. We, our, we should be exalting him in pain. Our pain does not change the fact that he is God and worthy of worship. Our pain affects us greatly, but it does not change the fact that God is worthy of worship. From our earthly standpoint, our view is performance-based, right? Our evaluations are performance-based. You know, if you give me the right outcome, I'll judge you to be on my side. But God is not like that. God's worthiness is due to the fact that He is God, His essential being, His nature. All He ever does is good. All He ever is is good. All he ever has for you is ultimately good. Even if you never experience another blessing in this life, the ultimate blessing is that he has eternity for you. And we need to remember that. We need to not forget that. That God is always worthy of worship. And now I want you to notice something. I'm not going gonna, I'm gonna to try to hit the high points here because I want to bring this to a close. Look at verses 27 through 33. He said, he said, for he maketh small the drops of water. They pour down rain according to the vapor, which the clouds do drop and distill upon man abundantly. And he goes on to talk about the clouds and they being the, the tabernacle of God. He said, he spreadeth his light upon it and covereth the bottom of the sea. Verse 32, he says, with clouds he covereth the light and commandeth it not to shine by the cloud that cometh betwixt. The noise thereof showeth concerning it, the cattle also concerning the vapor. The cattle hear the thunderings, you see. We hear the thundering. It makes, it's, and he begins in chapter 37 here in the first, uh, the first few verses talking about 
the thunder equating it with the voice of God. Now, I just want to say this. You know over in the 38th chapter, the first verse of chapter 38 says that the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. I'm just wondering here, and I don't know the answer to this. I don't know if this is the correct assessment or not, but it doesn't. As Brother Buddy said, there, elders can disagree as long as it doesn't violate the fundamental doctrines of God. But notice in verse 1 of chapter 37, he said, At this also my heart trembleth and is moved out of his place. Notice what he's describing. He's describing a storm. He's describing a storm that's gathering. I wonder if the storm is literally gathering as he's talking. Because by the time we get to chapter 38 and verse 1, there's already a whirlwind. There's already a whirlwind. Could it be that as they stand there, as they're talking, that in the background, the storm, the thunder is beginning, the, the raindrops are falling, and the, and the storm is gathering as he is saying these things to Job. If you go on and read chapter 37, you're going to see that he equates the thunder with the voice of God. In verse 9, he begins to talk about God doing good for his purposes. He says, out of the south cometh the whirlwind. Now, I don't know, maybe, maybe it really was coming. <laughs> maybe he really was seeing the whirlwind coming. But he says, out of the south cometh the whirlwind and cold out of the north. By the breath of God, frost is given. And the breadth of the waters is straightened. And by watering, he wearieth the thick cloud. He, say, he goes on, he says in verse 12, it's turned around by his counsels. And that these things that are occurring, he said, he's, he, they do his will. They're doing his commandments. Now, Again, I think Elihu was somewhat of an absoluter. But remember this, that the things God is doing, God is doing for good. And ultimately, as he brings this discourse to a close, verse 14, he says, Hearken unto this, Job, and stand still and consider the wondrous works of God. Job, you need to pay attention and humble yourself before God. Basically, Elihu brings this sermon to a close by saying, Job, you got no business comparing yourself to God. You got no business complaining to God. You got no business questioning God. Rather, you should be worshiping God. You should be worshiping God with every fiber of your, your being. Verse 23, touching the Almighty, we cannot find him out. He is excellent in power and in judgment and in plenty of justice, and he will not afflict. Men do therefore fear him. He respecteth not any that are wise of heart. That means wise in their own eyes, which he could have taken a little bit of teaching from. <laughs> but essentially he's saying, Job, you need to stop complaining and start worshiping. God deserves your worship. And regardless of what we walk through, regardless of what we Endure in life, you need to worship God. And that's good counsel. That is good counsel. Elihu's giving good counsel when it comes to this. God deserves worshipers, not grumblers. And that's true, isn't it? I tend to be the grumbler. I tend to be the complainer. I tend to cry out, why me, Lord? <laughs> you know, that song was written by Chris Christopherson, Why Me, Lord? He wrote it in the right way. Why me? I tend to say, why me? <laughs> but the way we ought to be 
approaching it is, why me? I don't deserve any more than this. God, you have been so good to me by letting me enjoy just one blessing in this life. And ultimately, if I never had another blessing, I have something waiting on me that will be the ultimate blessing that will last through all eternity. Now, we've come to the close of the miserable comforter's lament. And we've come to the close of Job's complaints. We've come to the close of Elihu's self-righteous sermon. And now, we're about to hear from the man himself. We're about to hear from God himself. You know, I told you that up to this point in this book, you've got to filter everything that's said through the fact of who's speaking it. There's some good truth in here, but they all get it just a little bit wrong, some more than others. We're about to open up with a salvo of questions from God that nobody that's spoken to this point has been, will be able to answer. And I want to say to you, child of God, you're not going to be able to answer them either. But oh, what questions they are. <laughs> and how encouraging they should be to us. Because the questions are going to remind us of who God is and how great he is. And we've already seen and we should already know that he is on our side. God is for us. And if God be for us, who can be against us? Thank you for joining us today on the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. I hope the message has been uplifting and beneficial to you and that the Lord will continue to bless you to grow in grace and knowledge of the truth. Join us again tomorrow for another message of God's sovereign grace. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismacool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.